Okay, everybody, welcome to today's Seven Figures Partners podcast. We've got an amazing guest in Dr. PhD John Bird and his amazing story. Uh, if you're not familiar with John, he uh, comes from Southern California, resides in the San Diego area, and he is one of the co-founders back in 1999 of a company called Dexcom. And Dexcom, if you're not familiar with it, you can go ahead and look them up. They're on the NASDAQ, they're publicly traded, uh, 21 years old uh, corporation and uh, billions of dollars in revenue and currently has a market cap of $43 billion. So basically, if somebody wanted to come in and purchase this company, they'd have to come up with 43 billion plus probably some additional capital on top of that to make it good for the shareholders. So that's the company that he was a, a co-founder of. And Dexcom received in 2006 U.S. Food and Drug Administration approval to launch the Dexcom STS Continuous Glucose Monitoring System. It's a three-day sensor, provides up to 288 glucose measurements for every 24 hours. And John was not only co-founder, but the first CEO of Dexcom. He's also co-founder and general partner of Sabre Technology. It's a company dedicated to developing unique medical testing products. Uh, he was also founder and CEO of Ocular Inc., which developed a remarkable new non-invasive analyte testing technology. He's been a leader in a large number of companies involved in developing medical devices. He was a general partner of Windermere Venture Partners, a firm that started more than 15 medical product and biotechnology companies during his tenure. He was also CEO of Mira Medica, a company developing computer-aided detection technology for enhanced cancer diagnosis that was so sold to Kodak in August of 2003. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S. and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. John, welcome. Welcome to the show. We're excited to have you. Thank you very much. I hope we have some time left after that introduction. Well, I just think it's always important for everybody uh, listening and watching this to get an understanding of, of the you know, person that we're talking to and the prominence and, and the success. And I'm sure you've had a lot of challenges and obstacles along the way, but, but really made a, an enormous impact in the medical industry. And as we were talking before we started this, one thing that was interesting is some of us who aren't uh, as uh, knowledgeable in the medical industry kind of start to think, oh, is that pharmaceuticals? But it's actually not. So if you take a few seconds and just explain, you know, what your focus was, because it actually wasn't pharmaceutical. It was providing more natural solutions. Well, actually, you didn't mention that in my introduction. Uh, you gave a history of all the companies that I've been involved with in the past. But in the last few years, I've been really busy starting two new companies, one called Lysulin on my shirt here, L-Y-S-U-L-I-N. Perfect. It's a nutritional supplement for people with uh, pre-diabetes and diabetes, and it's all natural, works great. We've got clinical studies that prove it, and there's a lot of published science. All these companies I've started in the last couple of years, these two companies I'm going to describe, 
uh, are based on a solid scientific foundation. As you mentioned, I got a PhD in biochemistry, so I approach all this stuff with a uh, scientific kind of an attitude. And Lysolin is great, uh, all natural, safe, works great, is proven in clinical studies and available at low cost without a prescription. And I just started last year another company called Wonder Spray. And I got interested in Wonder Spray because it's uh, FDA cleared for wound healing and first aid. And this stuff is amazing. It's, it's incredible that nobody knows about it. The active ingredient is called hypochlorous acid. It's not an acid. It's not like hydrochloric acid. Uh, but it actually is what your white blood cells use to kill all pathogens, all germs, bacteria, viruses, yeast, mold, and fungus. It's 100 times more powerful than bleach, but totally safe and non-toxic. You can spray in your eyes, your nose, your throat. I will never have a cold again because if you get a sore throat or you feel like you're getting sick, you know how you feel when you're yeah. about to get a cold, spray it in your eyes, nose, and throat. It will kill whatever's trying to make you sick. So we found a cure for the common cold. It's amazing. And nobody that is amazing. Nobody knows about it. The active ingredient, I call it HOCL. That's shortened for hydroxychloride or hypochlorous acid. HOCL is actually EP, on the EPA list of disinfectants for use against coronavirus. Hmm. We can't claim that. So I'm always walking a fine line with all these natural products because I don't want the FDA or the EPA or the FTC or the FBI knocking on my door saying, hey, you can't say that, blah, blah, blah. So where, anyway. where can we access that? Where can we get that product? The product's available at the website right now. We're trying to get Amazon to sell it, but that's been like a, a, a headache. Yeah, uh, but it's on uh, and the website is www.thewonderspray.com. All one word, The Wonderspray. And we have it in two ounce and eight ounce uh, spray bottles that you can, it's, it's incredible for any kind of skin problem. I had a testimonial a couple of days ago from a woman who for 30 years had scarring on her nose and she had to wear bandages on her nose and acne on her face. She had tried for 30 years, all these different medicines and drugs and blah, blah, blah. None of it worked. And Wonder Spray fixed it. She was said, I've got tears in my eyes. I'm so happy. And of course, I get all emotional too. I had tears in my eyes as well. But it's just amazing for all these skin problems. If you've got any kind of burning or itching on your skin or a mosquito bite, it'll immediately uh, stop it. And, you know, there's nothing like something that provides an immediate effect as opposed to having to wait. Unfortunately, Lysolin, uh, the diabetes supplement, it takes a month for it to start working. And people think it ought to start lowering your blood sugars immediately, but it ha takes time to build up in your bloodstream. But Wonder Spray is like, has an immediate effect. If you get a cough or sneezing or something, just spray it in your nose and your throat. It'll stop your cough and stops the sore throat. So, and that's, that's the wonderspray.com. Yeah, the wonderspray.com. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to pick up some for the office and some for... For my family in the house, my wife's going to be excited. That'll that'll be awesome. Okay, great. We're going to get that, the Wonder Spray. So you've launched a lot of different companies and enterprises over the year. You know, as you as you think of, you know, going back to some of the first uh, businesses that you launched, what gave you the confidence to launch those businesses? Why did you think that you as an entrepreneur would succeed when so many don't? Well, actually, when I was in graduate school, I had a room, a uh a uh, uh, lab mate, Paul Shendell, and he had a great expression. When we 
designed experiments and stuff, and we didn't know if they were going to work or not. And he said, you've got to believe. And actually, that stuck with me over the years. And that's really the case with all these businesses. You have to, you have to believe that the product you're working on is, is going to help people and be a success. And if you have that, you've got the foundation to build a business. So you got to believe. And really, for a new product idea, if you talk to venture capitalists, if they still exist, I mean, I'm trying to raise, raise money for all my companies, and it's like all the venture capitalists that I've known and I've made a lot of money for, like with Dexcom, they, they're like, oh, well, we're not investing in new companies. We're just keeping what we have going, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the venture capital community is like so different today than it was 20 years ago when we started Dexcom. And uh, it's really, you got to have a big market, a unique product that, that serves a need and maybe patents. And what I can pr help provide and what I've done is to be involved in the management of startups where I'm usually the first CEO and then I know that once a product gets launched, uh, a marketing CEO makes more sense than a science nerd like me. So I'm, I'm used to that. So I don't resist a new CEO coming in and taking over a business if, if they can help build the business and help new customers to better help, like at Dexcom. I mean, I was CEO for a few years, raised some money, got the product developed a little ways, and then we hired a new CEO. He came in and did a fabulous job. Andy Razzle is his name, and I thank him really for making the company so valuable. When we started that company, it was to develop a long-term continuous glucose monitor that would be implanted. It would be like a new glucose measuring organ in your body that a doctor would have to implant. And it was supposed to last a year. Well, there's a, that's a terrible business model for several reasons, and Andy convinced the board to go with the needle sensor, which you don't need to have surgically implanted and stuff and that that was a great idea and he got the product developed so quickly and building on the technology that we had established he was able to make a fabulous needle sensor that is now the world leader in continuous glucose monitoring beating the competition wow so a lot of focus on making sure that there's a big enough market and that your product really solves a problem you know, for a number of people out there and differentiate yourself from the competition. And, and then that belief, it just starts with belief. You just, you've got to believe. And, and when you go forward like that, with that belief, solutions begin to present themselves. And, and that's awesome. So with your background, you know, what uh, was your upbringing like and, and your background? And how do you think that uh, contributed to your entrepreneurship and and uh, starting successful businesses. What, what, was, what was it like growing up for John Bird? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, I've written a book about the discovery of Leishlin. It's available on Amazon. And the title is uh, natural, The Natural Solution to the Diabetes Epidemic, The Discovery of Leishlin. And I talk mm -hmm. a little bit about my childhood there, but really I, I was in a poor family. We had five kids, so we didn't have two nickels to rub together, really. So I didn't, uh, uh, I, I had no sort of entrepreneurial, you know, background in my history. My, my father was an electrician. My mom actually worked repairing telephones. And uh, in high school, I just figured I'd going to graduate from high school and get a job in the factory. And 
I've got a story about how I became a biochemist, if you want me to give you that two minutes on that. But yeah, definitely. Tell us that story. Actually, so they in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's where I was born. I went okay. to high school there. And like I said, I was planning on getting a job at International Harvester or somewhere, a factory job like my all my family had. And uh, they were building a regional extension for uh, Indiana University and Purdue University in Fort Wayne. IUPU, it was called, and uh, everybody in high school was talking about, oh, I'm going to go there after I graduate, and I thought, eh, why not? I'll go ahead and do it. And well, to do that, you had to take SATs in an advanced subject in order to register, and I thought, well, I took one course in chemistry in, in high school, and I liked it, but I was no whiz at it, and of course, I didn't study for the chemistry SAT. And when I took it, I thought, oh, my God, it was like Greek. I had no idea. And I went to register at the IUPU campus. And they said, well, what do you want to major in? And I said, well, how about chemistry? And they said, oh, I'm sorry, your SAT is too low. You can't be in chemistry. It's in the School of Science. And they have a minimum SAT score that you have to have. And I said, well, how about biochemistry? They said, Okay. You can do that. It's in the School of Agriculture, so they didn't have that restriction. So that's how I became a biochemist. <laughs> oh, that's an amazing story. So what, initially chemistry, but then uh, the transition to biochemistry, and you went from the idea of, well, maybe I'll just work at the factory like you know most people in town, my family, to, no, maybe I'll check out some further education and that curiosity. I always think curiosity is kind of a big factor in in a very successful people. They're curious as to learning new things and trying new things. And I think that sets them apart from a lot of, a lot of different people. Well, do, you, do you believe you're a pretty curious person? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I'm always interested in why, why something happens. It's like biochemistry is such a fabulous uh, career. I mean, you know, all life has involves chemical reactions and it's like, I'm so happy that I got into biochemistry. Chemistry is basically how do we make more things out of petroleum? I mean, you know, all these big factories making oil and all these other petroleum products. And biochemistry, though, is all about life. And when I was in in, in college, that was when the structure of uh, DNA was first discovered. And nobody knew anything about that. Uh, you know, the how how we're made up and why why things happen. So that was all going on when I was in college. It was such an exciting time to be alive and be learning all that. And uh, when I was an undergraduate at Purdue, uh, I took all the chemistry courses and biochemistry courses, and I worked in a laboratory there for a great guy, Dr. Somerville. He's like one of my mentors, and I had a senior research project with him. And when I was in the laboratory, there were graduate students there. I knew nothing about graduate school and graduate students until I worked in the lab. And I thought, well, I might as well go to graduate school. Why not? You know, so that's how, uh, and Dr. Somerville suggested the University of Wisconsin. So I applied there and they accepted me. And I got an NIH traineeship there. So they paid for my education in graduate school. It was fabulous. And I studied nucleic acids while I was there. You know, I did research on DNA and DNA structure. And it was just such a fabulous time to be alive. It was the late 60s in Madison, Wisconsin. And that was when the revolution was on. I don't know if you read history about it. You're too young to 
but you may have read about the history of uh, Students for a Democratic Society and all that. Well, Madison was a hotbed of that, and that's really affected my political views for my whole life. I mean, I'm I'm a liberal. I hope that doesn't upset your listeners, but uh, I'm not, but I can understand why people are conservative because. I have a lot of friends who are so conservative, and we're still friends. And, you know, if you're conservative, it's like, well, I've earned, I've worked hard for what I've earned, and I'm not going to give it away. Okay, fine. I can accept that. But for me personally, I'm here to help other people. And that goes to my businesses as well. Like, I'm so happy with these natural products. And when I get testimonials from people about how they've been helped, really, it just makes my day. And I'm so happy doing what I'm doing now. Well, I'm sorry. I'm so long-winded. but No, that's great stuff. That's what we want to learn from. So you talked a little bit about having some mentors that helped along the way. How pivotal do you think uh, having some of those mentors were in your learning and your process of becoming an expert in biochemistry and then being able to create those products? Well, again, a good education, you can't beat it. So I urge young people, a few things that I urge young people, one is when you're an undergraduate, take a course in public speaking and a course in sales training. Life is sales. You're always selling, as you know. So it's like every conversation, somebody's trying to sell somebody something. So it's important to, to understand that whole process. I never took sales training, so I'm not maybe not a great salesman, but I, I think for young people, that's really great. And I also, for... For, for young young uh, men and women, I always say, if you can, marry wealth. <laughs> I didn't, but uh, I'm so happy. And, and actually, relative to that, my wife has been such a great support for me. She sells real estate, but she puts up with me and all of my foolishness and, you know, me spending all this money on my businesses. So she's really, Rose is her name, and she's just a fabulous person. She's got the personality for real estate. She, nothing is a problem for her. People, I, I couldn't do what she does. It's like people always complaining about this and that. And she's always, okay, nope, that's no problem. Yeah, we can fix that. So I really respect what she's been able to do with her career and her life. Really good uh, things you just shared there. So public speaking and sales should be something that everybody is learning from. If you can't learn it in college, there's so many online courses that you can learn these things from, and those will translate to success in so many areas of your life, as you just pointed out. Having great family support, I see that as a consistent theme with a lot of entrepreneurs. And you also brought up something fascinating there. You talked about you know, your wife Rose being okay with you investing a lot of your money into these new products and new businesses. And that's actually what I wanted to talk about next. A lot of aspiring entrepreneurs are afraid of taking the risks. What have you been able to do over you know, decades of successful uh, companies and entrepreneurship and products to kind of reduce that risk or to be comfortable taking those financial risks when you've started companies? Well, that's an interesting question. And I've got a little story for that too. I have a financial planner I've worked with for many, many years about financial planning. And he, he was always, man, you've got to be putting more money into your, your future for retirement and stuff. I said, well, my retirement plan is really to have a company that hits a home run like Dexcom. And lo and behold, 
it's happened. It's got, it's like a few years ago, there was a thing called the secret and that yeah. was visualize what you want and it will happen. And that's basically how I've lived my life too. It's like, you know, I've had a lot of, started a lot of companies and really many of them were not successful. So it's not a guarantee, but you just got to believe and keep, keep at it. And I believed and I knew that, you know, it's like going to bat, you know, you're going to have a lot of strikeouts, but if you keep at it and practicing, you'll hit a home run. So I urge people to try it. Just go for it. You know, it's like you may not win the first time, but don't give up. Keep, you know, believe in your ideas and keep trying. So it's a beautiful lesson. Mark Cuban always says in business, you only have to be right once. Yeah. to really uh, be set up. And and you mentioned some interesting things there that you have started a lot of companies that didn't work out. And I think every story of every successful entrepreneur, I know it's been my story. I've had plenty of businesses that didn't work out before building some successful multi seven figure businesses. But how did you push through the failure and and keep on grinding and moving forward to the next idea? What What are some of the keys that people should focus on to get through the failures and how should they look at those failures? Well, you mentioned Ocular, which is one of the companies I started to develop a non-invasive glucose testing idea like Dexcoms, only without using any anything going into the body, basically just using a technology to read something on, on the body. And we wanted to measure off the white of the eye because if you look at the white of the eye, it's got a lot of blood vessels in it. Mm. And that conjunctiva is, is the membrane that covers the white of the eye. And I thought, well, if we just shine mid-infrared light into the eye and the signal that comes back will be affected by the glucose concentration there. And we did a few experiments with a, with a system we threw together and it looked like it was working. And this was after Dexcom. So I was able to raise some money for that back in the 2005 sort of period. And I hired some engineers and we did more studies. And we realized, oops, it doesn't work because water also absorbs mid for red radiation. If you ever see those pictures of people running around at night using a mid infrared camera, that's because your body gives off heat and that's mid infrared. And uh, so we basically. After we realized, oh, this really is not going to work, we shut the company down and gave the money back to the investors. So they got about half their money back after a couple of years. And uh, but it's you know you just you just keep moving moving along. And there's a good story about how I started uh, Lysolin. If you want to hear that, yes, tell us about that. Well, I, one of the co-founders of Lysolin was a nephrologist, a kidney doctor in Madison, Madison, Wisconsin, where I happened to go to graduate school. But uh, he was a co-founder of uh, Dexcom. He was involved. There were four people in Madison that had worked on that technology, and they called themselves Markwell Medical. And when we started Dexcom, Markwell Medical got half and went and the venture capital firm I worked for at that time, Windermere Venture Partners, got half. We each took 50%. We raised money at a million dollars in 2000 at a million dollar valuation. So, and then in 2005, as you know, went public for 500 million and now it's worth 40 billion. So it's a fabulous financial success, but it's also a great product. And I'm equally pleased that there's a million people on the planet using that product to help them to better health. 
Well, anyway, after uh, I had a bad motorcycle accident in 2009, it put me in a coma for a month, and I was like into forced retirement almost for like four or five years. Man, I hated it. I was so bored. But uh, I, I, uh, I got busy again in 2015, 16, and I was working on some products for people with chronic kidney disease, CKD. And as you know, people with chronic kidney disease eventually can end up on dialysis, which is just yeah. terrible. Yeah. So I had all these ideas for products for people that were on dialysis, and I would send them to uh, the two companies that control that dialysis market. It's Davida and Fresenius. And I would also send a copy to this co-founder of Dexcom, Dr. Updike, because he was a nephrologist. And I would always get the same message back from all three of them. Uh, it won't get reimbursed. Everything's fine with that with dialysis. It, you know, no thank you. And I was so tired of getting that back. And then I realized that uh, Davida and Fresenius really aren't interested in curing chronic kidney disease. They're interested in customers, like the pharma industry. They're not interested in cures. They're interested in customers. So, but Updike sent me an email. I said, why don't you quit messing around with this dialysis stuff? Work on something important like glucose toxicity. Well, I'd never heard that term before. And now I'm an expert in glucose toxicity because that he got me started on Lysulin because that was the seed that led to the company and its fabulous product. And the reason uh, we all need glucose for our everyday energy needs keeps us you know, glucose provides the energy for our brains and our muscles and everything else. But glucose, in addition, you know, that's the angel on the shoulder of glucose. The devil on the shoulder of glucose is it's a chemical and it's a reactive chemical. It's like a poison. And glucose reacts with every protein in your body, in your eyes, your nerve endings, in your kidneys. And when that glucose reacts, that's called glycation. And glucose reacts with your proteins, glycates them. Well, if this is a protein and this is glucose and I react with this, it changes the structure of that protein and therefore the way it functions. It doesn't function right. That protein was not meant to be glycated. And glycation is the cause of insulin resistance and diabetes. And I thought, well, how can I stop that reaction from happening? And as a biochemist, it was easy. Lysine because lysine is one of the amino acids that we have in our bodies and it's got an amino group on it and glucose reacts with amino groups to form that glycation product and so i thought well lysine that's the answer and i looked into publications and there were some fabulous publications back in the late 2000s about how lysine lowered blood sugar and more importantly it stopped that reaction of glucose with your proteins. And this is published literature. I'm not making this up. That's the other thing about historically supplements have bad names because guys like me make these big claims without any substantiation. But we have published proof that our products work. So anyway, I thought, well, okay, lysine, that should help this problem. But I thought, I can't sell lysine because you can go to the drugstore or grocery store right now and buy a bottle of lysine. So I looked at other natural products that also helped with diabetes and zinc and uh, vitamin C. 
also lower your blood sugar and help with insulin resistance. So I put the formulation together with three, just three natural ingredients, lysine, zinc, and vitamin C. This was in 2017. And I filed some patents, four of which have now issued and uh, started the company. And I got a hold of contract manufacturers to make it for us. And lo and behold, we have product. We've been selling for three years, Lysulin. We have capsules and tablets and uh, liquid. And we're just about to introduce a once a day powder. So it's just, so that's kind of how Lysulin got started. It was an email from Dr. Updike that said, work on something important like glucose toxicity. And I did. And it became Lysulin. <laughs> yeah. That's an incredible story. And, and what you just taught us there, I think, is a lot about the importance of proof of concept, which is an enormous amount of research, trial and error, and again, figuring out what your customer needs and how to solve their problem. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't go through that full process. They're kind of lazy. They just take a little bit of research, try something. But it sounds like for you, it's very, it's a process that just is continuously evolving and, and that's how you get the successful product. What do you think that people need to focus on in, cre in the creation of good products to make sure that they're going to solve those problems and get that proof of concept? Well, again, it's got to be, you got to have a big market and you got to have a product that's unique in some fashion because again, most products have competition. So you got to have something that's unique and if you can, like we've done, yet get patents because that will prevent competitors from copying exactly what you've done. And John, uh, you're the owner of 25 patents, I believe. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, I've got actually more than that. I'm approaching 40 now, but uh, oh, that that was from an old article. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I've I've patented and actually relative to that about back to mentors. After I got out of graduate school, I worked for Miles Laboratories, and I had a uh, two fellows that I worked with there, Bob Boguslowski and Bob Carrico, and they had filed a, a whole series of patents on ways to measure things in blood, and uh, they were that was really inspirational. The work that they did, you know, to develop those ideas for those patents, and I worked on one of the ideas, and again. Uh, measuring therapeutic drugs in uh, blood for clinical chemistry labs. And this is what, uh, you know, people that are on these drugs like theophylline for asthma and anticonvulsants, they send, they draw blood, send it to a lab, and the lab measures the blood levels to see if they're in the therapeutic range. So that's important. And we developed a, a whole series of products and patents and papers uh, on that system that we published back in the 70s. Yeah, late 70s. So Boguslowski and Carrico were both, again, a couple of guys who really inspired me uh, on the importance of patenting your ideas and developing those ideas, improving them. So with all these companies that you've uh, started, grown, and, and taken some public and, and so forth, how did you find good people and create that, that culture of finding solutions? What is, what is that process like for you? Well, a lot of the people that have worked with me on new companies have been people that I worked with in the past. And they, you know, I really liked their work ethic. 
and their commitment. So that's the thing. If you, as you age, you know, it's hard to do this as if you're only 20 years old, you haven't had that much experience with other people at work. So it's harder to find people. But uh, I, I always look for people that I worked with in the past. And uh, a lot of people that have been involved in companies that I've done are people with whom I've worked in the past. And I really respect what they've done. One, I've got one little tale to tell that kind of relates. Remember that Andy Razdell came in to take my place. Yes. How did you guys find him? What was that process like? That was fine. I mean, we basically hired a headhunter. She found him and he had great experience. We interviewed him and he liked us and the story and he came in. That was great. I had another company called LXN and Lexan. And it was a company that had another great product for people with type 2 diabetes. It was a once a week test that you could do at home and it would give you your average blood sugar over the previous two or three weeks. And if you're changing your medicine, you want to know is my average blood sugar getting better? And that's hard to do with a single blood test. That just tells you, a glucose test tells you what your glucose is right at that moment in time, but it doesn't tell you if you're going up or going down or staying the same. And this test was great. And we developed the product and got some patents on it. And we raised money and the investors again wanted somebody to come in with a marketing background. So we hired a fellow from Eli Lilly. I won't give you his name, but uh, he came in and he was the exact opposite of Andy Rez. So he just spent money like he was still at Eli Lilly. And the company ended up going bankrupt basically. And I was able to find a friend of mine to buy it at the last second. So it eventually became a and j property. And after a couple of years, they shut it down. And that product it never is not on the market anymore, which is too bad because it was a, it was a great idea. But anyway, that's oh, I'm talking about how, how to find good people. So, so you mentioned Andy, who was great, and then this other guy who was not. What made him such a bad fit? And, and how can we learn to avoid that type of person in our bringing him into our company. Well, he was a marketing and sales guy, that's for sure. Because what he did is he came in and he hired, I don't know, 10 or 12 young people to sell that product. And there again, he wanted to train them, you know, so that they were selling according to what he knew was the right way to sell. He came, brought them in and training. I mean, all that stuff is expensive too, hiring people and paying their salary and doing that training. And a couple of them did a decent job, two out of 12, maybe, you know, that's a pretty bad ratio. And again, he just spent so much money on that. And then he had all these other activities that he had invested in when he was at Eli Lilly, they had a big marketing budget. So they had all this, spent all this money on ads and events and shows and all this stuff we didn't have that money for that so he just basically ran us out of money and that's the company just ran out of money and that's another lesson we had a an investor there who was a terrible investor i mean all they did was complain and when you raise money if you're going to go through multiple series of money raising series a series b like Dex, dexcom went through like six series i think and raising a lot of money before they went public. But you have to have investors who are willing to keep investing. 
if you raise a new round of money, new investors always ask, are your old investors going to participate? And if you say no, it's like, well, red flag. that's a bad sign. So that kills the deal. And we had an investor who was not just complained and was not going to put any more money in. So we couldn't raise more money. And lots of times that's what you need to do is keep raising money to get the company to where it is making money. And it took a long time actually for Dexcom to become profitable, which I don't quite understand, but that's another story. Yeah. So Outstanding. So with a lot of uh, development of product and then the distribution and marketing, there's a lot of strategic partnerships that are made, maybe with other companies or other groups that provide solutions. What, uh, how important have strategic partners been in the development of different products and then you know, distributing those products? And, and how do you go about finding some of those strategic partners? Well, it's like it depends on who your customer is. So with a lot of the clinical chemistry products that I've been involved with, if they're going to get sold to doctors, then you've got to find partners who sell to doctors. And there's not that many that sell. So you've got to, you know, they used to be called PSS, Physician Sales and Service. And they were one of the, and Henry Shine is a big seller of products to doctors. And so you've got to get them interested because selling to doctors is like pick and shovel work, really. It's like yeah. doctors don't want to buy product. They want you to give it to them and, you know, it takes a lot of money and a lot of effort to sell the doctors. Consumer selling in the old days, uh, back when I was talking about LXN, you had to find uh, retailers that were interested in putting the product on the shelf because the internet didn't exist back then. And I'm so happy now that the internet does exist because our current product selling to consumers is all primarily sold through social networking like Lysolin, half our sales comes from Facebook ads and half comes from Amazon. And those two, Amazon basically has replaced all the old retail, you know, drugstore chains and Target, and Costco and that sort of thing. Getting products into those big retailers takes a long time. And they finally agree, okay, we'll take and put two bottles on the shelf at every store. Unless you give them hundreds of thousands of dollars, they don't promote it. And it just sits there because nobody knows it's there. And, you know, nobody at the store knows what the product is good for because they don't spend any time educating people at the store on what a great product it is. So I'm just thrilled that the Internet exists and we don't have to sell through retail anymore. I mean, we're still working on retail. If we can find retailers that are interested, we're happy to have them have the product on the shelf, especially if they take two minutes which is all it takes to learn about the product and how great it is. So, but we don't have a budget to spend money on ads and promotions. You know, these drugstores want you to give them money to promote the drugstore and all the products in the drugstore, not just yours. So anyway. <clears throat> so that's interesting. So there's all these opportunities where you can spend, 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 to sell your product, but if you can connect up with groups that already have your clients, in one of those cases you mentioned doctors, then that's more of a relationship building and a lot less money out of your pocket. And that's what I always try to teach new entrepreneurs and established ones too. I mean, yeah, 
you can spend, spend, spend to try and uh, figure out what your cost to acquire a customer is. And if you can do that, great. But if you can just find strategic partners who already have your customer, build a relationship, have some sort of compensation structure for them, well, that just takes effort. And it sounds like you guys have definitely gone both routes and been successful at both. And, and I just always see a lot of success with the strategic partnerships. And uh, so would you agree, is that something that, that uh, has been helpful and more successful in terms of you know, getting a good return just by building relationships versus spending? Yeah, I mean, really, we're, we're continually looking for like independent pharmacies that want to sell products and help their customers to better health and will take the time to learn about the product. So that's a, you know, it's a continuing battle. I didn't mention actually that some of the biggest roadblocks to innovation in new products, one is the FDA, all the grief you have to go through to get products FDA cleared. Mm. And the other one is reimbursement. And so many people say, well, is Lysolin reimbursed? And uh, insurance companies don't reimburse for vitamins and nutritional supplements. There's this thing called the uh, health service account or something you can buy at some uh, insurance companies where you can put money away tax-free and use that. It's like a credit card and you can use that to buy products. You can use that, but that's only for people that are not on Medicare. If you've got Medicare, you can't get an HSA account because you can't for whatever reason. So, and a lot of our customers are older, so they don't have HSA or FSA accounts that, that can use for reimbursement. And I know that from my experience, again, with LXN, we had this home test for this once a week home test. And it was the first one that on the market and we got it FDA cleared. And I'll tell you, getting insurance company to reimburse for that product is like a life's work. You work on somebody like Blue Cross Blue Shield for six months. And finally they say, okay, we'll reimburse it. And they reimburse a certain amount for the product. And you think, oh man, hallelujah. And then three or four or five or six months later, they say, no, we decided we're not going to reimburse it anymore. Uh, why? And you have to start all over again. It's like you need somebody working full time. So the FDA and insurance reimbursement are two roadblocks, really, to new products for, for people in the healthcare industry. How important is it to build recurring revenue products, products that uh, people you know, buy every month or need every month? And especially if you, you have a target market like diabetes, there's probably a, a big need for that. So what kind of strategies should business owners be developing to have those uh, customers for life and, and to build recurring revenue streams? Yeah, you know, people usually refer to that as the razor, razor blade idea where, yes. you know, you don't want to sell an electric razor where somebody buys an electric razor for 30 bucks and he uses it for five years. So you've got one sale. And if that, if, if you, if he pays 30 bucks for it and it costs you 15 to make it, you've made $15 on that one sale for five years. Whereas if you sell razor blades, people have, you know, people like a disposable razor, people buy them and throw them away after they use them for a week or two and then they have to buy another one. So that's the razor, razor blade. So it's better to work, sell razor blades than it is to sell electric razors. And the same thing is with all equipment sales. If you sell a piece of equipment that doesn't have 
something that has to be used on a regular basis with that uh, product, then you're going to have a tough, tough time. Like LXN, we sold a meter for a small amount of money and a, a test strip that people would have to buy every month to test themselves. And that's like the classical glucose measuring business. They sold meters and then test strips. And the big companies always gave away the meters so that people would buy the test strips. That's again, the razor, razor blade idea. So that, yeah. that was with Dexcom. So Dexcom did have kind of that razor, razor blade recurring where customers were coming back every month to, to get the product. Exactly. And that's actually what Andy Russell did, you know, with the product I was working on, the long-term continuous, they'd only buy them once a year. Whereas the needle-based sensor that Dexcom now has, they have to buy it every 15 or 30 days. I'm not sure now. They started with a three-day sensor, but now it's out to two weeks, I think. So that's good. But that product is still pretty expensive for people to buy. So, so when you build that kind of business model where there's products being bought every single month, kind of a recurring revenue, what does that do to the valuation of that type of company? Well, basically... You know, the valuation usually is on the P.E. ratio. And if you sell more products more often, you're going to generate more profit. So uh, that basically is the idea of uh, if you can, like drugs, you know. they People get on drugs and they're hooked on them for life sometimes. Like, I hate it when I see people with type 2 diabetes get put on insulin because that is a one-way street. You're just going to need more and more and more insulin to try and help them manage the glucose. So that's really, it's tragic. And if people try lysulin instead of insulin, 70% would not need to go on insulin. No. But it's hard getting that word out, and doctors hate supplements, so it's really difficult to convince doctors. And if you, uh, a patient asks their doctor, should I try this lysulin? They'll say, nah. Here, let me write a prescription for you, you know. So always in bed with those pharmaceuticals versus the natural solution that can be a lot more healthy. Yeah, that's right. So So in, in terms of work life balance, there's always a big discussion about that between entrepreneurs and, and guys like us that uh don't mind working sixty, eighty hour work weeks, but we still have families. So how how do you balance that and, and what do you think uh what are your feelings on how people can achieve some sort of work-life success balance with family. Well, I'm probably not a great example because I, like you, I love working. And it's like when I was retired after my accident, I hated that really. And I was so, I'm so happy being busy. And every day I am busy, you know, all day and all night. I always say I'm here 24 seven. And if you call our customer service line, you're going to, it's going to go to my cell, my cell phone because I love talking to customers and, you know, telling them what we can do for them. But uh, again, Rose and I both work like maniacs. So that's, we spend most of our time. We actually have done a lot of traveling though. And I have some great friends that before COVID, we used to get together for dinner all the time. And it's great having, you know, a great wife and great friends. So that's kind of the balance. I mean, I used to play golf, but I'm so terrible at it, I finally gave it up. So I don't have that, I don't have that many extracurricular activities, and I don't ride my motorcycle much anymore. So 
Uh, I used to do a lot of motorcycle traveling with uh, some buddies that we'd go on long trips, and that was a lot of fun. But time passes and things change, so you just adapt to it. Sounds like it's something you schedule out, and that's what I've always believed, right? You schedule out, we're going on this vacation, or we're doing this activity, and as long as you're scheduling those things regularly with family and, and friends, then then I think that's kind of where you achieve it. So because there's so much wasted time that most people, you know, are participating in, whether it's watching a lot of TV or just scrolling, you know, online without any real purpose. And so I just think if you eliminate a lot of the time wasters and you schedule in what's important, that you can achieve that. But yeah, you're still going to work a lot because that's what it takes to succeed. And if, if you really have a mission you believe in, like you, I think that's a big key to your success. Like you've got these missions that you believe in with each product solving these customers' medical issues in a non-invasive, natural way, and, and that leads to passion and success. And, and you don't even feel like you're you know, working when you're engaged like that. That's true. It's like work is my fun. So actually, I'm, you know, I don't know, Rose works upstairs, so I don't know if she can hear us, but uh, she, you know, she had her way every every month we'd be going on a trip somewhere and it's like i'm like so disinterested in traveling more i mean i have traveled a lot in my life for a lot of business but also a lot of pleasure trips yeah and uh so then we in 2000 she and i went to egypt and that was that was oh, a nice. great trip i mean all that's that culture is just so amazing what uh what they what they did back 2000 years ago and that was a great trip. And I love going to Italy. It's another great place to go. It's like the people are so friendly and the food is so great and the history is so amazing there, the Roman history. So those are a couple of my favorite places to go. Yeah. Perfect. You know what? I just finished uh, reading a book about uh, an entrepreneur named uh, Kirk Kikorian who uh, accomplished a lot. He built an, uh, an airline and and uh, he built uh, MGM Grand and a bunch of big hotels in, in Las Vegas. And he bought and sold all these uh, big companies and Hollywood studios. But he worked until he passed away at age 98. And I think that passion that he had, because everybody who talks about, like, there's always this idea of, oh, retire early. But I think if you retired early, you'd be extremely bored. And, and that's exactly what you were saying. You kind of did that retirement thing. And it's very boring and it, it takes the life out of you. So I, I don't ever plan on retiring. Sure, maybe more vacation, more time here and there. But yeah, I, I, what, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've got friends who've retired and I'm, I always ask them, what do you do with yourself all day? I mean, that was my problem. It's like, for me, it was like sleep, eat, uh, watch TV and play some poker. I mean, I like to play poker. Yeah. So, uh, But again, that just kind of, loses its edge after a while so but there are a lot of people love retirement if they've got like rose would be happy in retirement because she has so many extra activities she's a farm girl and her backyard is just full of flowers and vegetables uh, so is my wife stuff like that so and that you know she's always dragging me out there to do something <laughs> <laughs> me too she likes to cook and i'm and she always is amazed that she always says you're a chemist. Why don't you like to cook? You know, that's basically chemistry. And I, I don't know why, but I, I don't mind eating, but uh, I'm not much of a cook. But she, she's got so many activities in her life that she'd be happy in retirement. So, 
stuff. She keeps threatening retirement, but she's been threatening for five or six years now, and every year she keeps at it. So I, I people like her too much, and she's too good at what she does, so she's not going to be able to. Yeah, she is. Um, are there any books uh, that have had a big impact on your career as an entrepreneur that uh, that you'd recommend people look at? Books? I can't really think of any. You know, actually, I have another mentor that I should mention who is a yeah. His name is Scott Glenn, and he's here in San Diego. And I'm always surprised about how he's not recognized as more of an icon in the venture community because he's, he hired me at Quidel, which is where I worked for a few years before I started my first company. And uh, he's a great guy. He was president of Quidel, and then he started Windermere Venture Partners, which is the partnership the venture capital firm where we invest, we started Dexcom from. And he's been a great, uh, a great guy. He, he works hard. He's really smart. He's actually got a degree in accounting, but you'd think he was a PhD because he knows, he appreciates science and how to make it simple for people to understand. And he started so many companies and he has had such a huge success. I mean, he's made so much money in, from that venture capital firm over the years. As you mentioned, we started 15 or 20 companies in four or five years. And, you know, we had this philosophy that if you want our money, unfortunately, you have to take us as part of management. So that's that's how I became founder and CEO of Dexcom. So that Scott Glenn is a great guy. Perfect. Well, hey, we've covered uh, a lot today. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you think aspiring entrepreneurs or business owners who are trying to build and grow companies like you have, you know, should know that we haven't talked about. I made some notes here. One thing actually relative to finding good people, I got a little note on my, uh, on my sheet here, which is I used to work uh, with a, an Indian fellow, Pritapal Singh, and he started a company called Chemtrack that developed the world's first home cholesterol test. And he, he was one of the founders of, Lexan, LXN, and he, he always said, you know, companies have, uh, are basically have three f- phases or three stages. The first phase is where you have a small group, a cadre of people that work, work like crazy, 724, to get things done and to prove principle and just to work really, really hard. And then the next phase is where you hire people and they work eight to five. And then the third phase is where you hire people and they steal as much from the company as they possibly can. <laughs> oh, no. I always like to get out before the third phase. Uh, so that was that. And, and that's then, after the company's gone public and everybody's just trying to, you know, very entitled, trying to get what they can. Yeah. Well, good stuff. Uh, so what can we do for you? You provided an amazing value with your experiences and journey. Obviously, I think everybody listening should go to thewonderspray.com. Are there any other places we should go to look at your products, services, or engage with you? Well, if you go to my website, which is www.jbird.com, there are links to both Wonderspray and to Lysolin there. And I've put some other things on there, too, like my, uh, what is it, my... uh, my theory of disease, which uh, is on there, that you can have a look at that and have a laugh. Uh, about. I like that. That's short, guys. 
jburd.com. We'll have links, uh, you know, all over the place on this online. So www.jburd.com yeah. and get uh, the Wonder Spray. This is, uh, you know, an entrepreneur who for decades has built products that uh, have made a, millions of people's lives better. That's, I think that's really what most of us are looking for when we start a business is to have a massively positive impact on a lot of people. And you've done that, John. That's an amazing journey. Thanks so much for sharing everything you have today. Well, thanks, Leo. Thanks so much for having me today. And uh, I really have appreciated you taking time to talk to me. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.